Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Afternoon, good evening. Welcome to episode 72 of Agitators Anonymous. Let's get straight into it. This is an interview, a chat with an old mate, Chris, from the band Winterfelleth from the UK. Um, pretty interesting. Chris came back to the live scene at Bloodstock, which we talked about last week in the podcast. Our festival's coming back, a return of live music, etc. Go and listen to that one for some context if you want. Chris treaded the boards at Bloodstock, and so we discussed that. We discuss um, the very question of the last podcast. Does this mean something for the live scene? We discuss politics in black metal, cancel culture, um, people always taking the worst possible example of any situation, all sorts of things. It's a very interesting chat. Chris is a thoughtful and insightful guy, and Winterfellas is a great band, in my humble opinion. So let's get into it. This is a chat with Chris from Winterfellas. Got it. Well, Chris, how are you? Fresh from Bloodstock. Tell me about that. What was it like after being off stage for such a long time? And how was the organization and the event and the general mood within people, within the crowd, within musicians, all that kind of thing? I think it was good. I think um, I think people were definitely desperate for something after so long. And I think that um, obviously, despite the kind of, I guess the palaver of getting in the entry kind of requirements and testing and all the sort of stuff that people had to kind of sort of queue up and get through and all that sort of stuff. Actually, once people were in there, it felt like it felt like normal. It was really good. Um, and, it's good to see kind of fun. And well, just the um, were people able to come, for example, to the gate and be untested and then have to take an antigen test at the gate, or how did it work? Like, what were the logistics mm-hmm. like? 
in its entirety because we got there. I think we were playing on the Saturday, so obviously the thing had been underway since the Wednesday. Say that again. Well, you kind of went a bit, you froze there for a second. So uh, say it again. We were there on the Saturday, so we didn't actually see all of the kind of undertakings of the whole thing, you know, because people were getting there from the Wednesday night, I think, weren't they? And, and yeah, all yeah. those kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think you could do a, you could do a fresh test if, if you hadn't done one. I know, um, I know my partner Heather came with us, um, but she arrived separately because we we had press to do and things like that. So she couldn't get phone signals to kind of um, you know, of course, access yeah. apps and stuff. So so that even though she was all right, she was going to have to go and get one and sort of manage to kind of scrape some uh, signal and kind of not have to go through it. But yeah, I think they were doing that thing, that sort of thing. And obviously they had, they kind of publicised it quite widely as well that they were they were going to be doing that kind of thing, and and you know people should kind of try and align themselves with it and then you know so you could have the kind of freedom to to do what you want when you're in there so so i think i think that was good that you know in, in the sense that you could sort of move freely inside and there was no kind of pain you know once you're in i was just curious about the um the sort of logistics of that because it seems to me that if you were to just rock up at the gate and you got a positive test then what was going to happen to you were they just going to send you away from the gate or what was their responsibility to the other people around you um, because, of course, you know, sometimes we think of the sort of worst case scenarios of people then being told to go and quarantine and all this kind of stuff. Or um, I suppose there's an awful lot to consider about, the, as I said, the logistics of when you just arrive. But I presume maybe people were pre-tested or arriving uh, with their piece yeah, of paper. Yeah. Or... That's right. They, they, were, they were asking people to, I think, to do like pre-tests. You know, um, my, my younger sister went as well as, a, as just a kind of regular hunter. And she you know, had to do like kind of one of those tests, lateral flow tests uh, a day or so before. So I think if you could prove that, I think it was fine. But obviously there was like an extra step in getting in. You had to get a separate wristband and then yeah. then you could kind of go in and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I imagine that the logistics of that were, were probably painful for the festival, who, who I don't know if they were kind of happy about having to do it in a sense. You know, obviously it's a... An enormous undertaking when you've already yeah. got fifteen thousand people to kind of to get in and in and around the festival, haven't you? It's just an extra an extra hassle, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, I heard of a festival in Germany next year. I won't mention which one, but they were talking about antigen testing almost twenty thousand people every morning before allowing them onto the festival sites. Yeah. I, I mean, the logistics of doing something like that are massive. But I suppose if that's what it has to happen to have festivals happen, then I suppose they're willing to try and do anything. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the festivals kind of want to want to want to make money, don't they? They want to they want to go forward. They want to be able to kind of maintain their livelihoods in some way. So I think I think people are having to at least play the game for now and kind of show willing and, and show they're kind of you know trying to sort of do whatever is being deemed best for the public and stuff. So mm. you, I suppose in some ways you can't argue with them. I imagine some would probably prefer not to have to because of all the absolute endeavour that it is to do it. But um, well, I mean, it's you know, once you're in, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, it's either that or after two years, I think, of nothing that a lot of festivals would just fold, you know, or wouldn't be able to. I mean, it's strange because you, you can see, um, say, Alcatraz Festival also happened in Belgium, but yet Holland is shut. So it just seems like mm-hmm. the rules are, are completely arbitrary from country to country. But what was the, you know, I mean, people are, so I guess, a bit bogged down in that kind of conversation because I keep going on about it in the podcast. I think they're more interested in the feeling of a musician stepping back out on the stage so you know let's go to that how did you feel about that it was good it, it, you know obviously you know we've played lots of shows our bands together over the years and, and not too bad it's a standard english uh, response in the negatory come on did you yeah. feel any sort of any welling up of emotion uh, come on come on uh, 
I, I was, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was thrilled to be able to play. Obviously, it was quite a daunting experience. I think you know, first the first um, the first gig back would be in such a huge stage that that we had yeah. to play on, and not that we haven't played those kinds of things before, and not that we weren't equipped for it mentally or, or, or you know, we were rehearsing everything. But it was a uh, our first show with a new guitar player, you know. So um, Russ, having been in the band for about a year now, his yeah. first chance to kind of let loose. We were obviously playing um, lots of songs from a new album that came out just after the kind of the sort of pandemic began yeah. so um so that was obviously a bit twitchy playing those for the first time and then yeah. as with ever um the sound on stage wasn't the, the most optimal so we had a few uh yeah a few gremlins trying to get the sound right and then um you know by the time we hit the, the, the third or fourth song out of five then it was it was all right so yeah it was uh, a little bit stressful and um uh, but i was just glad to be there you know you, you miss that feeling of like people singing your choruses back to you yeah. you miss that feeling of seeing people Need that moment. Yeah, you went a little bit freezing there. Yeah, but um, your internet connection is unstable. It's telling me, come on, come on, internet, let's go. It's the fucking, you know, it's the uh, NWO trying to stop us talking to each other. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, people are. It's it's been really, I think, really strange to be told for so many years you're part of some EU project or some sort of global citizen. And then when it comes to thing, of course, that you love the most, such as music or, you know, art or this kind of element of culture to realize how completely arbitrary the decisions are from country to country. And like our country won't look at any, it seemingly they won't look at any statistics or information from other countries who are trying to do pilots of the same kind of thing. But isn't it odd that at the start of all this, the UK was being barracked by everyone else. And then they seem to be sort of the ones that are slightly ahead when it comes to allowing some form of um, culture slash human rights to come back to a tiny degree, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, it, it, speaking from a spot's political perspective, it's an absolute lose-lose, isn't it? You know, yeah. whatever you do at the top of the tree, it's going to be it's going to be wrong one way or the other. I mean, I, I do think that it, it seems to, you know, from a UK perspective, it was very much mishandled to begin with. I think it took them way longer than it should have probably six or seven months to kind of get their act together in any any meaningful way probably to the detriment of quite a lot of people who could have maybe not faced the same fate but you know I, I think there's been some mildly sensible discourse coming out of those guys I've seen latterly you know it's good it's here you know what we're supposed to do like most of our populations had vaccinations and all this sort of stuff mm. what else are we supposed to do? we need to kind of get on with it to some degree and live with it and, and live around it and I think that there's that kind of spirit in lots of people that they they want to make their own decisions and do what kind of suits them in terms of I will I will go to that or I won't go to that based on how I feel. But obviously, yeah. I think people should be allowed to try to you know to to be given the chance to sort of take their chances if they, if you like. It's quite strange that uh, if you take the Anglosphere um, as a whole and take away, say, Great Britain from that Anglosphere, most of the other Anglosphere countries are running with this ultra-cautious, almost 0%, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a fool's errand because that's impossible. But look at what's happening in New Zealand and Australia and Canada. And yeah, also, yeah. also here, it's quite, it's really quite odd that almost, well, I mean, look, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but the kind of hysterical overreaction to me is quite strange coming from all of these Anglosphere countries, you know, but they, but in Great Britain, sort of, well, they, you know, I mean, Scotland is a bit different again, isn't it? But um, that 
considering exactly as you say six or seven or eight or nine months ago things were in a slightly different case that this looking at the pictures of bloodstock it's one of the few festivals last weekend that was happening across europe for bands to play sorry a lot of yeah. rambling in that question but. no no i think you're right i, I mean I, I maybe like you have got friends in australia who um who you know i'm in reasonably currently reasonably daily contact with and things like that and yeah. when they're getting to the stage of saying look I go, I go to work for a week or two and then i have to stay home for a week or two and they're they're shutting down the country for for one case i just yeah. think well how, how is that going to be sustainable for for an economy and for people's lives and you know I think I think everyone wants to feel like they they've got everybody else's best interests at heart to some extent, but when it gets to the point of you know one person dying and then them shutting the whole country down, well that's New Zealand and that was, that was New Zealand and I don't think the guy even died. I think it was just one case of a fifty-eight year old guy, mm-hmm. and then they tracked and traced the places where he'd been and they decided to shut an entire country, including two islands. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm sensing something weird happening in the in the music scene. Maybe it's specific to the kind of end of the extreme metal scene where we are, where it feels almost like um, if you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Like, um, it seems that if you announce a show or take part in something, to some people you're condoning what's happening. So by paradoxically, by let's say in parenthesis, rebelling against what's happening would simply mean you do nothing i.e. stay at home, which is what, let's say, surreptitiously, they want anyway. So I've been grappling with this paradox um, this morning, thinking about it, and I don't think I really explained it very well in my podcast, and I thought you, I'm going to say this to you and see what you think about the idea, which is that um, we're going to get into some weird divide and conquer moment in extreme metal, where those who decide they want to go out, look, we're going to have to deal with this somehow and play, are going to be called this, that, and the other by the people who obviously are against what's happening. And I mean, look, I am as well against the system of what seems to me coercion and using all of these things um, as an affront to civil liberties and freedoms and all that kind of stuff. But if not taking part in that is just sitting at home in a screen, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a huge ethical nightmare, isn't it? I think, and it's a huge... Well, it's a hugely difficult thing to navigate, I think, from the perspective of, of bands who, I guess, at their core, just want to be able to go and, and express themselves through their art and, and who, who kind of feel stuck in the middle of it all, like they're, like they're almost a pawn in the middle of it. And it's, diffi- it's a difficult thing for bands as well, I think. If you have crew, if you have people who are kind of relying on, on, on your endeavour as well as, you know, your immediate band members. Obviously, we've got sound people and, and you know, who, who were the kind of first to you know be told they couldn't do their jobs anymore and were probably the last to be um last to be able to start them again. So yeah. it's been a hugely upheaved world, I think. And, and I don't know, it's, it it does seem like a like a mire for, for bands to have to navigate because like you say, you know, there there is that kind of side to you that thinks, should I be going along with this? And and it's I don't know, it it feels to some extent like that what started as something kind of you know with with meaning it's been very much politicized into something i don't know beyond the realms of what it should have been i think and that that, that things are starting to kind of eke into people's kind of livelihoods and personal freedoms and and, it, and it's worrying and i think even even though you want to try and be a good person and, and try and kind of i don't know um be seen or only be seen like feel like you're kind of you know supporting or kind of protecting your fellow man or whatever it might be actually 
you also have this kind of worry in the back of your head that is this just being turned into a, a situation beyond our control and is it a is it a state of the world that that is being brought over over us under the guise of something else it's very it's very worrying and i think if you're a sentient person you can't help but, but have concerns about those things if nothing else yeah i mean that's obviously what i but literally kind of what the podcast was started for and to grapple with and deal with is the idea that um what is the fair trade-off between a health and safety emergency or what is um being used to implement new structures of social control and of course, I, I'm very much believe that we reside in the gray area, that neither is in malice 100% or incompetence 100%. There's mm. agents of disaster, capitalism, or whatever you want to call it, or authoritarianism who are using this uh, to implement, without a doubt, new elements of social control. But at the same time, some part of it is just bureaucratic mess and, um, you know, people making decisions on the fly, people trying to save their political careers people trying to um, just save face. And of course, if you consider that human nature is very much going to err on the side of caution, so as you don't have to face the uh, firing squad or the music in a couple of years. Um, so everybody errs on the side of absolute caution all the time to save their own skin. I mean, it's, I, I think that's part of human nature, but sort of trying to navigate the middle ground. And then what, I'm what I was trying to get at or what I'm trying to be thinking about all morning is how musicians are going to end up being pawns for this. You see already like guy from the Cro-Mags calling out Dave Grohl, not of course, that's some other world that we are not in. And I didn't really exactly follow what was being happening, but the idea, I think the accusation was that the Foo Fighters are playing for a segregated crowd. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So that means that for if as we move forward, some of us are going to try and organize gigs or play gigs or whatever. The reality is you're going to need, at the very least, as you said, this antigen test to get in. So you are essentially going to be playing gigs for some form of a segregated crowd on a medical level. And I don't know, that has very difficult moral implications, especially for somebody who's old enough to remember the words like apartheid and musicians who went to play in Sun City and all that kind of stuff. Now, of course, that's not, it's not of that magnitude. It's a much smaller microcosm. But the moral dilemma of playing or not playing, because it would seem to me that not taking part in such a, um, a system, or no, maybe not trying to think about it in too negative terms, but not taking part of it would mean, um, what am I going to do? Just go and be a you know, biosustainable farmer and, or a carpenter and quit playing music. I'm not sure we have a choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. And, and Sorry, another, note, that, another noted question for you. <laughs> I, I think there's, I think there's also this, this side of it where you know, people like you say do want to err on the side of caution. Think well, if this is just come on, internet. Just for each up while you know um, these programs have rolled out, then maybe I'm willing to give it a bit of leeway and and, and you know and okay, to you know, 18 months time or something, and everything's back to normal. You don't need to do any of this stuff, but. I think the the inner kind of um, thinker, worrier, conspiracist to some extent would think, you know, once once governments tend to sort of take these things away, they don't often tend to kind of give them back with uh, with much with much ease or with much no. you know expedience, do they? So it's um, it, it's a worry, you know. Is is it all necessary? I I don't know. I I I worry that that it isn't, and that there's yeah. a, there's an element of kind of there is an element of control to it, I think. And, yeah. and I think you've got that huge kind of pull of people who are really super anti and you've got people who are 
who are maybe kind of in the gray area, like you say, and then people who are kind of very much the other way. So if nothing else, it's causing a huge social division as well as everything else that's being pushed into the world over the last kind of few years. And, and at a base level, I think it's another kind of divide you know, and rule, kind of push people into different factions and, and, and make them kind of fight against each other. So you forget what's going on at the kind of top of the heap. And, you know, I think about the, the Winter Village material that we've written over the years and, and some of the ways that we've kind of tried to think about the lyrical, uh, sorry, the, uh, the, like the, the ancient texts and some of the kind of historical, you know, stories of war and, and, and oppression and things like that. These things are, you know, always repeat themselves over history. And it's funny how there's always a kind of new regime with a new kind of yeah. angle on it and, and how they kind of want to keep repeating those things. And, you know, we've talked about the idea of kind of like cultural hegemony, hegemony, whatever the word is, you know, and, and the idea of kind of this, this kind of society that sort of like pushes down control. And I think that those things are real. And I think it just yeah. happens that these things kind of get slotted into whatever's going on. And even if the, even if the crisis is, you know, the most serious thing that's happened in the world in the last hundred years or something, it's still, still insidiousness kind of coming in and around it. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's starting to worry people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something I've said repeatedly on the podcast, which is that um, in the history of any nation, city, state, if anybody could point out to me when the citizens of aforementioned nation, city, state ever handed over all freedoms and got them back as they handed them over, I'd like to know what it is because that's not the nature of power. And that's not, that's an inarguable statement to me. That's just the process of history. That's all you have to do is examine that on any level in any country and you will see that that's not how it works. And so once you place that framework over what's happening i mean look at you know like ration books didn't disappear after the second world war for another 10 years and there was id cards and all sorts of stuff and the idea that um somehow all of the agents of institutes of power and technocracy are benign um i think is just really naive but i do understand on an emotion level people want to believe that these institutions have their best interests at heart but at the same time on the other side i'm not I don't believe that the people, for example, in the Irish Parliament are in on some huge Machiavellian uh, plot. That was exactly the word I was thinking of, Machiavellian. Like, uh-huh. I, think your average, I think your average person is just, it, it's too far removed from your average person to, to believe that, that an organisation that most of them think is there to, to help and support you is, Isn't. is so Machiavellian that it... That it you know the government's there to look after us from kind of you know birth to death, and and, and they they've generally got our best interests at heart. I know they might you know siphon out a bit of, bit of money for their mates and their companies that that make PPE or whatever, but you know most of the time they're they're looking after everyone, and it's just like almost every week on every level from social care to yeah. you know the the height of this pandemic. I think that they've shown across not just our country but others they're they're absolutely not a benevolent entity. No. And can you see, but you can see this, and what I'm trying to do is trying to sort of boil it down to a little bit of a microcosm. You can see this becoming a thing in our end of the music, and especially in the sort of black metal sort of area of where we inhabit, that this is going to become a kind of a, a, a mini moral battleground. I can see already people gossiping and talking mm-hmm. on forums about this and that and the other, but there's so many um, human implications to what's happening. I mean, for example, I would say today I noticed that they're apparently they're removing people who need kidney transplants who aren't vaccinated from Irish hospital waiting lists, this kind of thing. I mean, the thing is, you're not going to be able to go and visit a dying relative in hospital without being vaccinated. This is just not happening. So you've got to make your 
you know, you've got to make your human choice, which when you're dealing with people just throwing stuff out on message boards and forums and gossiping, um, nothing like that is ever taken into account, the complexities of the decision. But I can see it becoming this weird moral, not weird, but very predictable moral battleground in the sort of area that we're inhabiting. But you can see the conundrum because we both live on islands. I mean, how the fuck do we get off the island? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think it's a really, it's a really ah, bad another hard question. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, there's, there's no prep needed for this. Just jump straight in. It's fine. No. Let's have a chat. He's got no, his list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to catch him out. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Sorry. I, 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 you know, from from the the point of view of kind of hospitals and all those kind of things, you know. I think we quickly forget the history and, and the good work that some people have done in the political sphere to kind of try and protect people's like overall freedoms. You know, there's a UN charter about uh, about medical freedom, isn't there, and things like that. And and people shouldn't be kind of forced into doing things. And and, and then you know, I while I think it should be everyone's free choice to get vaccinated and all those kinds of things if you want. And I you know I think maybe it's right to in this instance. You know, actually the. the there's a definite moral kind of conundrum there for, for, for governments because that on one hand they're you know they've they've signed up to these charts that say you know people should have autonomy to be able to do this, that, and the other. And you know, really the government's there just to kind of steer the ship and shouldn't be there to kind of try and rule over people's lives. But you worry that it's kind of encroaching on that that freedom, despite the fact that some of those bigger kind of global charters are there and that almost those things get forgotten, sorry, forgot get forgotten under the, under the pretense of um of a crisis and um you know that's the trade-off it's, it's almost like sorry i was gonna say it's, it's almost like that whole like kind of you know, those kind of like terror laws from a few years ago in america that you kind of hear about you know that oh the patriot act whatever they were yeah. talking about where where because we've deemed this situation to be that all bets are off and all your kind of personal freedoms are now out the window and, yeah. and that's not gone away and those things still exist in those countries and i worry that you know it's just the, the net kind of grows nearer and i think that um you know, if, if you ever think that a government is an entirely benevolent organization, then, uh, you know, I, I worry and I feel sorry because as much as you've got one end of the, one end of the spectrum where you've got people like, like Jeremy Clarkson commenting on his Twitter saying there is no global conspiracy because governments can't even fix potholes in roads, which is probably true about the incompetence in some levels of government. Equally, yeah. at, the, at the other ends of it, there are kind of insidious groups within governments and there are yeah, kind of agendas that play out. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean... And an awful lot of the politicians, for example, here are they are where they are by saying yes a lot. They're career politicians who are driven by maybe a certain form of sociopathy, but also they get where they are because they fix local things exactly like what you said. The idea that all of a sudden decisions, uh, science-based decisions, are being handed to them—they just they just abdicate their responsibility and give it to health and safety officials and scientists. And we know what happens in authoritarian structures when you hand over decision-making to scientists. They don't really view people as people anymore. But I don't know, I can just see the weird thing, just coming back to the music, I'm sure people want me to talk a bit more about the festival and not talk about all this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the nature of what the podcast is. That's, that's the world we're living in. That, that, yeah. that's, that's where we are. That's that's what we're all having to run with. You know, you, yeah, it's like seen... everything is politicized, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, and obviously like lots of this conversation goes on in that kind of social media twitter sphere and i think that yeah. the nuance of the of the of the discourse of the inflection of the of the wording of the of people's intentions and kind of emotions about it are just kind of lost in that sphere and it just becomes this utter quagmire of like yeah. name calling and division and 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 just 
just chaos really and and you worry like how can how can you ever have a, a sensible national level conversation about any of these things in a meaningful way when your average person is kind of bogged down in in those kind of conversations and and, and all over that kind of stuff and that's what they're seeing and that's the discourse for most people you know yeah i mean it's 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 pretty clear to me that we're in a a 10 year cycle of social media derangement, which has literally, um, you know, it's literally made people lose their minds. And it's also made them lose the ability to want to reach consensus, to have debate, to it's kind of destroyed all of the middle, just like filleted it out from society. But that's what most people are. They are nuanced. They aren't, they're center left on something, center right on others. They're, they're, you know, they can vote for gay marriage, but be against immigration or, you know, most people are nuanced. They're all over the place. But the, the polarization within uh, the sort of, as you say, the Twitter sphere or whatever you want to call it, doesn't allow for any nuance like that. Um, and so... Everyone just wants to cancel everybody every day and everyone wants to kind of like, you know, stop people from, from being allowed to, to feel scared or insecure or, you know, strongly about something because that, that's where they, they emotionally land on the topic, you know. And if, if, if all of our decisions were based on science, you know, Then, um, then it wouldn't be what we are, would we? And I think a lot, you know, all these people that claim that they want science in, involved in their decision making, they're making rational kind of decisions about lots of other things in that space. It's, it's just a kind of a, a complete kind of juxtaposition of people, and I think yeah. it definitely doesn't show the best of humanity to me, anyway. Exactly. Excuse me, Mr. Oppenheimer. <laughs> How did that decision go? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, um, it's just a really uh, divisive, polarized moment and i think that the you know the pandemic has really exacerbated that but i want to go back to the festival a bit what would did it did what did the um because i know that people want to ask want to talk about that because they want to know the feeling from people who've just been at them did you sense it was different in the crowd or anything like that would you did you sense some more was always just like you know it was four or five years ago yeah, I mean, I've been to Bloodstock a lot of times, you know, as a punter and obviously playing four or five times with the band. And um, it, it felt quite normal, I must I must admit, you know, within the kind of, within the the confines of the, the festival walls, if you will, you know, the the arena, people were sort of behaving as normal. You know, there wasn't, um, I mean, you know, a few people wearing masks if they, if they chose to, and I guess that was their, their own prerogative, but sure. lots of people in the crowd just kind of there like it would be. You know, the main stage was packed, the tent stages were packed, and people were kind of, going about it as though they would all the kind of silly antics that goes on in the campsites and the festivals and all the sort of stuff you see people mm. talking on about you know that that seems to be going on people seem to be genuinely enjoying themselves i think in my opinion and i know from the show you know particularly it was it was a, it was a really big crowd for us it was really great and um it was nice just to see you know the release on some people's faces that they could actually like stand and, and hear the new songs or hear or just yeah. be present for a, for a show for, for a band that they care about and um there's there, I think that was the only real difference to me. That that kind of almost sense of, of relief or release from people, I think, where where you could almost see that yes, like a show kind of, you know, coming yeah. out on their face and, uh, and and just being there. Yeah, I mean, that's the saddest thing about so much of what's happening is that the metrics by which we judge things like art, culture, um, even just joy within life are more, are more like just kind of have been more or less removed and you've been told, well, replace them with whatever you can find on the screen because nothing is going to happen in that public space anymore. I mean, I'm not even, people have been listening to podcasts, I'm not, I'm not even going to start on what's happening here, but the idea that bloodstock could happen in the South or in, of Ireland, it's absolutely yeah. possible. And yet in Belfast, 10,000 people filled 
the town square in the middle of Belfast for an open air show. Here, nothing. It's like they want to drag the country back to 1955 or 1985 or whatever you want. Pick, pick a decade from when we were poor cunts. Um, you just want to know what drives it, though, don't you? Like, what, what's driving those guys, you know, versus, say, I don't know, you know, the, the UK or, or some of those other countries? Like, um, why are they like that? You know, when, when there's people attached to your island, that are, you know, the UK I, or whatever, in a sense. Yeah, no, I mean, thank fuck in a sense, for that open border, because if that open border wasn't there, I think Ireland would be trying to do what New Zealand is doing. I think it's a mixture of fear, cowardice, incompetence, a misreading of science. Um, you know, Irish people don't like hearing it, but a sort of inward island mentality. Um, that, And, a, and a, this is the thing that Irish people don't want to hear the more of anything, is a deference to authority, whether over the years it's been the church, the English, whatever. It's a it's an innate doffida, well, yes or no, sir, um, which somehow seems to permeate. Uh, maybe it's some sort of intrinsic Catholic guilt or something, but our unwillingness to rock the boat here has made society uh, react in an absolutely cautious way. And once the feedback loop has started, it takes a very brave person to put a stop to it. And none of our politicians are willing to do that. They made rock stars out of the health service officials who now mm. arbitrarily control um six million people now tell me that's not an aphrodisiac of power yeah no, absolutely There's the answer. I, think, <laughs> I think you find you know people just find themselves there maybe either either by design or by by luck don't they and you know they want to run with it yeah i mean well that's just the nature of, of how it goes mm. but tell me this though do you think and i this is what the podcast this morning was about and i was thinking about talk, asking you about this is is it possible that the, the outdoor festival optics are a bit of wishful thinking on our behalf of the music industry and that now we have to go indoors, summer's over. How are some countries and states going to navigate that? That's going to be a big fucking headache, isn't it? Well, th there's that. And I think so, so from our perspective, you know, we, we had a, we had a two, two, three week tour booked with that. With, with who? Morgue. Go back again. Say that again. I was going to say we we had a, a two two three week tour booked with Mark from, uh, from oh Europe. yeah, Mark and Mindy yeah 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 and um and and that was supposed to go into Europe you know and so we've had to kind of truncate that to the UK mm. for the time being and uh, we've got you know quite a lot of plans for sort of next year the kind of April March April time and then the back end of the year as well that that, that kind of gets into Europe I mean never mind the whole kind of carnets and Brexit stuff uh, all the you know, you've got, I don't know, 12 different countries all dealing with something in a different way and all the arbitrary rules that they're kind of coming out with. And I, I like you were saying to your point earlier about bringing it back to music, how, how on earth are you supposed to, to navigate that as a, as, a, as a band leader, as a tour manager, as, as someone that, even announcing it to, you know, how disappointing people, refunds here, there and everywhere. But we've got an agent to think about. We've got, you know, livelihoods of those venues to think about. And that's the sphere we're going to have to get into, isn't it? Because they're the inside venues. It's not stood outside in... in yeah. You know, near Burton on Trent, it's um, it's those little venues in Bournemouth and Manchester or or the Netherlands or wherever that, that, it, that it's going to be a, a problem. It's it, I was almost I was talking about it with a friend during the week, and I was jokingly saying that when the smoking ban came into Ireland in two thousand, we were the first country in Europe, and lots of um, lots of pubs had to improvise to provide three walls and an open vent and say it was outside. Mm. And I had this feeling like we're going to have to do tent tours. Or something like this. winter tent tours. I mean, <laughs> clever, clever promoters now are going to be buying land 
somewhere where people can park around equidistant mm. between three big cities and erecting year round tents with open sides. Mark my words, that's that that could be <laughs> for next year because I, no, it's true. I can't see. Yeah. I mean, that's what Greta wanted, isn't it? Us living in tents, but no, I mean, um, you, you know, you can't. Uh, can you see them allowing 300 people packed into a venue in Belgium and then, and then the van drives on into Holland? Depending on some venue is going to go, I ah, don't care about your tests. Some other venue is going to go, you all need to provide on top yeah. of your passport another antigen test. And then we're going to antigen test the whole crowd. And one person standing in the queue, they're going to go, okay, gigs off. You can't plan anything with that, you know? Oh, it's, it's such a logistical nightmare. I, you know, I really don't know how we're going to do it. And um, our agent um, is, is German, Alex. And um, he, yeah. um, he's also a promoter. Yeah, he was just saying that it's it's impossible. You know, he's he's trying to book things for for, for November December time, and that you know, I think the German government as well are one of those governments that have really been kind of putting the brakes on, and they've got yeah, some yeah. strange laws from month to month as well as everywhere else. And um, how are you how on earth are you meant to navigate that from the from the, the perspective of a, so from the prospects of a promoter? You know, yeah. you can't have you can't have. Um, or maybe you can, maybe this is another area you're getting to, you know, you can't have government subsidy forever, can you? Where, no. where, does, where does the money come from? You know, who, who, yeah. who kind of is responsible for it? And when when all the debt in the world is put, put on people who've not been able to work, then what happens? Do you own everything? You know, do you own everybody? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to understand that, um, trying to understand the market and debt leverage and um, lending bonds and how the years that they're given, you know, um, given to different countries from other countries. I've been trying to understand like where, because it's clear that the moment, and you know, this is not a fiscal crisis. Do you know what I mean? Like what's happening here yeah. is, is not a financial crisis. So where the fuck is this money coming from? But um, yeah, the the idea that uh, you just trying to be able to plan, as you say, a tour to go from one venue to another. I, I think what might happen is that huge bands will find a way around it and small bands who can pull, pull 30, 40, 50 people in the 300 venue will be okay. Anyone in the 150 to 800 capacity range is gonna be screwed. And I think an awful lot of festivals are gonna be given money by the local councils to book local bands. You know, mm. think local. Um, our, our government is using this, well, one of them is using this five kilometer life radius idea, i.e., which sounds like the 16th century to me if you didn't have a fucking horse, which is <laughs> yeah. you're born, live, socialize, and fucking work and die in the same small area, which is, stay in your fucking place. Um, and so the idea that, uh, you know, you can get in the van, as you say, and go from one country. I mean, it might, again, these are just hypotheticals. Having just been in the Balkans for two weeks and realized there, everyone is like, fuck you, we're getting on with life, sort of heartened me because it made me go, all oh, right, in Croatia, no shit's given, fuck you. <laughs> um, we're getting on with our life. Same in Serbia, same in all these countries. So maybe touring will have to happen in those countries where they aren't um, beholden to this, whatever this strange hysteria that has embraced, as you say, Germany and France as well, I think, you know? Sorry, I just threw France in there. You just want to know who, what, what, what's driving it. You know, if, if in those countries it's, it's okay or, or people have been prepared to kind of get on with it. You, like where, where do you like loosen the reins? Where do you kind of, I don't know, give people the, the, the chance to make their own choice on it in a sense? Like, you know, I, I got the sense that most people would be, would you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but most people would kind of like the option to kind of take their chances a bit now. And, you know, I've had my vaccines and, you know, 
yeah. got a life to lead. You know, we, you can't sit in the house forever. And, and, and well, I was speaking to another friend who's actually Irish yesterday about the fact that um, their kids didn't mind, you know, and, and, you know, they were really worried about the fact that, um, that, that their kids seem to be okay with the fact that they, they, they already live in a digital sphere. They don't want to go out and socialize anywhere. You know, this was just a kind of, yeah, exactly. They, they're happy to, to just be present at home. And, and if, if that's being bred into that generation and kind of yeah. Im- imposed upon ours, it does give, it does paint a bleak picture of the future for, for global movement, for, I don't know, yeah. for personal freedoms, for all those kinds of things. And, yeah. and that's got nothing to do with a, a pandemic necessarily, has it? That's no. a, it's a much more kind of broad, broad spectrum of freedom there. Yeah, I think it's. I think that comes back to the ten-year cycle of social media derangement. I mean, I like I, I I play football a few times a week, and one of my mates from um, I play with, he's from uh, Morocco, and he said to me, he goes, he just said, uh, I can't do his voice, but well, uh, he just said, Alan, can't farm today, can't eat tomorrow, and he just said, people won't accept being locked down forever. They just can't. This is just not how life is. And um, I think he's from. Um, northeastern morocco you know he just said that's this is not how life is marrakesh i think maybe um and you just can't do that whereas in the west it seems like we're much more um sedentary we've much we've kind of drank this the kind of so we say the social kool-aid a bit more um this sort of sedentary isolated online lifestyle is what's been you know mixture of um natural not natural actually complete that's the totally the wrong word um the cycle of technology over the last decade has forced people into that. But as you say, an awful lot of young people, they don't seem, I mean, it worries me that freedom of speech seems to matter little to them, but certainly social society doesn't seem to mean the same thing to them at all. I see this in my teenage cousins. They're just like, Meh. you know, it's, it's definitely falling away from them, isn't it? And I think, it, but I don't know how you address it at a macro level. How, how do you, how do you try and instill in people the idea that human connection and that, you know, our, our ability to kind of relate to one another, on an interpersonal level, on a one-to-one level, is is more than just what we're doing now. You know, yeah. obviously ours is is because we're two countries apart, as opposed to the fact that we could just go down in the pub and have this conversation. You know, they, they just don't seem to value it. And, and if it's being pushed to them, and if it's coming down the line yeah. as a as an agenda, then where's the world going to be in sixty years or fifty years or something? Living with um, uh, artificial augmented reality glasses you know buying you know digital real estate and digital art and all this kind of stuff i don't know you get, I mean, these, you get into these kind of climate things don't you like ooh. is the climate agenda you know more serious than than governments let on I, 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 you know is is the real reason for this to try and push people towards it because actually the, the impending climate crisis is so severe even though it's not being talked about that we want to keep people local and make it seem like their own choice because we want to try and save the world is it benevolent or is it actually yeah something completely different we want to kind of cage people up and not have them kind of you know see the world and interact with the world and, and yeah. have a broad spectrum view of the world well i mean it's a very complicated question because it's such an emotional hot button question i think that there's many different things to unpack with that the first part of it is that it's the climate argument is being framed in such a way to make it impossible to disagree with it because it's so emotional for people. So you, so like many of the arguments over the last couple of years, it's framed in such a way that if you disagree with it, you're a monster. You can't hold the middle ground and go, hang on, can we discuss um, the idea that what you or I do uh, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter that much compared to a Chinese concrete factory or what's happening in the Amazon? It's like, mm-hmm. is, the, is it, as you say, 
an agenda being uh, like, let's say the prepping for climate lockdown happened under this last two years. And now that they've realized, okay, people accept this. Let's use this as the next thing to keep people in confined in their spaces. You're saving the planet. You're doing your part morally. Um, again, it's a, such a complicated conversation that hearing the other side is almost impossible, you know? And that really kind of worries me because, I mean, when, you know, because it, as I said, historically, when does any nation, city, state, institutions of power, and um, when do they not use power in those terms to control citizens? I mean, that's the history of mankind. So the idea that uh, the argument won't be used to keep you in place is nonsense. But then again, of course, discussing climate is a real discussion as well. So it's very emotive. Um, but the idea, like I said, that what, you know, zero emissions from Copenhagen, really compared to Beijing? So How many people that you know it's like 50 million people versus 500 million people, there are 10 billion people. <laughs> you know, there's something daft, isn't it? You know, yeah, but you see what I mean. What I mean is, like, how yeah. is this argument going to be framed to keep people, um, to use against the West's, let's say, guilt, uh, innate? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think, know? I think the scary thing is that that it's you know, it's not just one thing, it's 50 things mm. from 50 different levels. Yeah. all the time inching further and further forwards and, and you know it's it, it's the it's slight encroachments on personal freedom it's slight encroachments on freedom to move it's climate crisis it's financial crisis it's medical it's i don't know it, it's social it's emotional it's you know divide and rule it's all, all these different things you know how how we expect people to kind of live in in that and thrive is, is a really kind of challenging thing and i think you know that that's where some of those kind of you know like Punk and metal movements probably started in some in some ways as a kind of rebellion to some of those things, and 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 I, and I think that people don't know how to handle that in this situation. And no. I think that you know people probably want to speak about it and, and have feelings on it, and you know they they're not allowed to. And, and I and I worry that no one kind of has the real answer, and that the the middle ground is probably as ever where the kind of the, the truth lies somewhere between yeah. you know intent and incompetence, and and. And how are you going to navigate that as a, as yeah. a person and have a rounded view of the world? It's, it's it's really really hard. And I think that you just got to try and make the way you best the best you can, haven't you? And, and this is almost the kind of burden of being someone that is kind of interested and cares and, yeah. and and has and has the impetus to kind of look deeper than than the surface and sort of see the Machiavellian nature of it. Yeah. To, to what we were saying earlier, it's that that's the worry that actually the burden on you emotionally is so big. And I think even if I look at some of my my own circle over the last kind of eighteen months or so, you can see. If we hadn't have kind of had the chance to kind of be out and be a bit more free now, I, w I wonder where some some people's mental states would have been. Oh, yeah. Where... yeah, yeah. Believe me, I've been there and I've documented it on the podcast. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. I mean, like I will fly off the fucking handle at someone who goes, "Oh, what do you? Oh, who cares about gigs in Ireland? You didn't go. Fuck you." Or someone said to me, "Why do you care about?" I keep using this as an example. Why do you care about the theatre? You never went. I care because it's one of the oldest expressions, artistic expressions known to man. Let's draw a square on the ground. I'll tell a story to you. It's as old as time. You want that to disappear? You're a fucking a, a vulgarian of the highest degree. <laughs> yeah, you just absolutely. want to look at your phone and replace that with the humanity of theatre. Well, then you you know, but you can't. I found that you can't move people to be annoyed about things that are just abstracted, even one or two dots, or you know, they're just it's just too far. They're just like oh, I don't care. I don't have the energy. 
um, to to give a shit about these things. And then until it bumps up against them, like it's kind of affects them really like, um, oh, this now affects your kids when you bring them to school or what, what they're being taught in school or something like this. That's when it bumps up against them. Or what you mean I can't go on holiday or, and you're just going, or I said to my friend the other day, I said, what music did you listen to today? Oh, Nirvana. You know, under this circumstance, Nirvana never meet. They never rehearse. There's no game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't exist. There's no new Nirvana. There's only electronic music that people make in their basement without any other people. And she was very upset by that. And I said, yeah, it's designed to upset you. Be upset. Be yeah. angry. Be angry for the way the arts are treated. I was like, I, I get it. Just give me, give it 3% of your energy. But that's the problem. Trying to um, just move the dial a little bit for some people is just impossible. And then, of course, you realize that some people actually like all this. They like some oh, well, I mean, yeah. But, so, some people do, yeah. And I think, you know, some people have other anxieties, don't they? Social anxiety. Yeah. But, you know, you think about, like you said, that theatre space, you know, do I care about, like, show tunes and musicals? No, it's my absolute worst nightmare. But, like... <laughs> I was, going to, I, make, I was people... going to ask you to make a fucking show tune album with me, but now that's. <laughs> Do I think people should be allowed to go to those things and you know be, be, be there? Absolutely, I think, I think that that's all necessary because different people love it different ways, don't they? But you know, if you think about the individual, you know, you, you have to work, you have to make a living, you have to live month to month. People have been forced, kind of inwardly, you know, much more pressing jobs, spend more time at home, you know, or traveling on the road, and, and don't have a lot of time for recreation. I think those things should be allowed to be there for you, even if you can't always interact with them. And I think yeah. that you need them, you know, and that, this, this weekend was, was, was obvious to me that that was the case, that yeah. the people have been caged up for, for, for two years in a sense, um, you know, physically or mentally, I guess. And actually you need those releases and you, you need artists to be able to feel like that they can bring that to people without, yeah. without fear of approach in some ways. And obviously there is that huge moral argument, you know, if, if you're just thinking about something that happened like yesterday or today, that, that whole thing that like Wino from, um, yeah. And obsessed yeah. and, and everything put out and, and and the absolute kind of chaos that, that, that that's caused him you know people like jumping all over him and stuff and well I mean, the, the way i read it it was just like obviously it, there's some challenging ideas in there that people yeah put up against but i felt like he was just trying to say i'm worried about this like you know yeah. i believe it's a thing but i don't i don't know how to how to interact with it no and also but also the first principle is freedom of speech that's his right to have those opinions and people, so many people, it seems like that means nothing to people. I'm, I've been, I mean, I mean, I'm a free speech absolutist. I know there's four flaws with that, but, but I say that because I think the alternative is far, far worse. And neither mm -hmm. one can be either, you know, 100% or 0%. So have at it in a sense. But that's his freedom of speech to have that opinion. Now, there's a lot to unpack in what he said. Some of it I agree with, some of it I don't. But... Yeah, I mean, just the idea that this whole psycho Las Vegas thing, someone somewhere in that in that the state of Nevada just decides they have to wear masks and it throws this entire micro um, industry of that festival into complete chaos. I mean, I, you know, I traveled to Roadburn and I was singing with Wolvenest and someone said to me, you've got to wear a mask. And I said, I'm going to sing. Well, can you wear it when you're not singing? I no. I'm on the stage. Like, what do you want? And this is this this venue where everybody's been tested. This is the most safe place probably in the whole fucking city. Um, and when I'm going to put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. It's like Ryanair. <laughs> it's like Ryanair. Put it on until you eat your dinner and then take it off. It's just, 
it's the arbitrary, I keep using that word all the time, but the, the, the enforcement of nonsense, nonsensical rules that I think are just driving people to distraction. They're driving people insane. Um, because, you know, as if the virus cares if you're eating a frozen lasagna or not. It's just... <laughs> I, I think you've probably got more to worry about from Legionnaires in the air. Than you have from, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, 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 then, but then you see what you're doing is you're just creating this environment where people feel that it's okay or necessary or morally correct to enforce and uphold those um those small micro let's call them authoritarian decisions you know lots of metaphorical uniforms people have dusted off to go oh, brilliant i get to tell people what to do at the turnstile going in and out going in and out of the pub or something or whatever you know it, speak, it speaks to what we said before about that kind of whole divide and rule thing we're in so many different factions now you know around everything that it's who holds the kind of moral superiority the moral kind of you know precipice almost for, for all this and and everyone seems to think that they do yeah and 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 this idea of of discourse is, is almost a joke to people you know if if you don't agree we, we, we can't speak you know if I, if I speak to a chap at the weekend at Budstock who came up to me and uh and just assumed that we we differed you know politically yeah. or something or differed like because of what he thought he knew about my band or yeah. or you know you know, 15 year old tales of, of woe from the internet, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, just, but, you, but you, you've assumed that and you've not come and spoke to me. And this person did, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. And, you know, I was saying one of my big pet peeves is that you should be able to maintain friendships with and have discourse with people that you, in principle, don't agree with. Because yeah. if we don't have that, where, where on earth are we going to be? And I think, you know, you yeah. can see people becoming more and more faction, more and more tunneled, more and more kind of cut off from one another. And I think yeah. we forget that humanity in each other a lot yeah. of the time and that, that there are intelligent people on all sides of this debate and actually sometimes it's good that you have someone challenge your nonsense because sometimes it is and sometimes you just not have the opposite argument to, to see that well that's exactly what a point that i was trying to make <laughs> you know in and around the kind of edit of the podcast was that um the buffering zone for our own idiocy has been removed because now it's just online where we generally find people we agree with whereas before you have all these different social environments where people will go alan what the fuck are you talking about in the back of the van sitting there with kieran for promoting and he's like that's bollocks or all the other environments where you were around people in the bar the whatever your social settings where people the dinner table the whatever <clears throat> all those buffer zones are removed and so because you're like or a lot of people are just online all the time they find just these echo chambers which validate their own opinions and that's really really dangerous because it just pushes you even further apart so i i totally know what you mean because i've been getting that for fucking decades people assume things about me like even even i people gossiping about my, what they feel my opinions are about say vaccinations via the podcast who've never listened to the podcast i can tell somebody screen grabs me and go yeah people are fucking calling you this and it i go yeah look i'm used to that and then i look at it and i go okay that's you've not listened to the podcast mm. but you're just making an assumption from both sides of the arguments you know i mean it happens to me all of the time when you know people make arbitrary lists and you're on a list somewhere and you go you know you could have just asked me yeah that, that's that's what i hate the most i think you know i said in interviews all the time if you if you've got a question you know we run our social media just send a message you know we'll have yeah. a chat about it you know book an interview do you know what i mean like, yeah. or if I'm you're not afraid to talk about stuff because i don't feel like we're idiots or i don't no. feel like we're kind of like unreasonable like 
you know, hate-filled individuals who've got some kind of agenda to spread. You know, it's just, exactly. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and also the, uh, the, the implication that people are, of course, not nuanced with lots of different opinions about lots of different things um, is itself just part of the sort of black and white polarization of internet discussions. I mean, I don't read these kind of things anymore. I don't go looking for people gossiping about me, but for sure, you're exactly right. People make assumptions, you know, um, based on hearsay. And that's the idea that we've done away with due process, I think is one of the most problematic and worrisome things about modern sort of online society. The idea that someone can just accuse you of something, uh, you might, you know, or say, oh, well, that must be true. And like, you know, it could affect every show you've booked for a whole year or every, everything. Um, well, and that it, it goes from what you were saying about, if you put something out there that's maybe misguided or that you, you know, that, that you don't have all the facts, so you've kind of made an assumption, you write statements saying blah, blah, blah about X topic and someone takes real offence to it and then messages your employer and goes, this is the kind of person you're employing. So rather than the kind of idiot filter of like, like you, like you say years ago, where your friend would go, fuck off, mate, just have a look yeah. at this or like, you know, yeah. actually you're wrong because X, Y, and Z and I've got experience with this and you should have a think about the other side of it. Yeah. It just goes from naught to 60 and there, there, is, there is no kind of, there is no acceptable, you know, reproach for people, is there? It's just like, well, that's what you are. That must be who you are now. You, you know, yeah. you, you understand 100% of everything in all contexts. And, and that that is a complete definition of what you are. Therefore, it's now going to employer and, you know, we're going to try yeah. and cancel your shows. Which is like... yeah. and, and there's no asking you. Or there's no... Also, one thing that defines this modern sort of, I suppose, this... I think view it as a kind of like a religious... Um, it's a moment of semi-quasi-religious hysteria, you know, um, that we've seen throughout history, the sort of woke movement, so to speak, um, that it is, it takes on many of the uh, elements of the religious, i.e. that you need to have faith, it's a very faith-based um, belief structure, yet at the same time it has no room for forgiveness or redemption, mm. which I find fascinating. Like I've talked to people who I would be diametrically opposed to politically on a lot of things, who are against the death penalty, but want someone cancelled for a tweet from 15 years ago. And I was like, okay, so... Um, I, it's or huge cognitive distance, isn't it? Huge yeah, or the idea that you can rehabilitate um, a murderer in prison. But yet, you know, that some people have said to me that's a false equivalency. And yeah, I agree, I'm reaching for a rather extreme argument. But what's quite strange that there is an, almost no redemption or no forgiveness in this strange quasi-religious moment because I think it's it's just something more innate, isn't it? It's just about winning. Yeah, I, yeah, I was about to say it literally is just about winning, isn't it? It's about my 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 view is much better, and I've proven that to you by you losing me or something. It's just it, it's a it's a whole mess, isn't it? You know, well, but I mean, you've seen bands kind of go up against it to some extent, haven't you? Like when maybe like when Destroyer kind of came up against it, and they just were like, you know, they just didn't back down about it because that. Mm. Uh, what it, it seems to be kind of redundant to do so you know if they apologize who are they apologizing to and, yeah. and if they and, and if they do it's never good enough anyway so no. what are you meant to do no exactly and it's and it can and it can only be i mean it's just so bizarre that what we've done is we've empowered the potentially we've empowered a group of you could have half a dozen 14 or 15 year olds can bring down the career the life career of a scientist over one sentence they said in 1994 um, and everybody seems to be sort of, well, there's no mechanism of no filter mechanism for being able to separate those two things 
from each other that you, you just can't have that much influence when you're 15 years old um like if we leave the arm i mean something somebody said to me i was reading the other day or actually i read the other day really worried me which is that people between the ages of let's say 15 and 25 very much get their information about history from people their own age and it's made up in that moment their opinion about culture society they're not it's not from a history book it's not from an older generation they literally get their um, impression about let's say science or biology or something from someone on tiktok who is 16 years old themselves because that's who they're following um and i just thought wow no i mean that could just be uh, i'm just a middle-aged old fucking dude who just <laughs> you know i'm aware of that fact as well that like look that, you have your own filter but it's a crazy thing isn't it you know is that part of that kind of innate trustingness that we have that when you see something like you know one of those memes it's like you know this much money has been spent and this many people have died in like fucking hell like 10,000 people have died and when you actually yeah. fact check it you know that, that they haven't and and it's a it's a naivety rather than a you know a, an inherent kind of malice within them I think maybe and, maybe so maybe so I'm not I'm not one of these people who just continually dumps on young people I mean I have as I said teenage cousins and the shit I can see you can see how the technology has changed their view of society or it has influenced them very often negatively but also Many of them have been, you know, sort of, um, they have been sort of been living online before they even understood what it was. And the idea that now our notions of privacy are something they don't really even understand, or, you know, the attention um, economy that they're being constantly waged war on by all these apps and platforms, and the idea that they don't really care about freedom of speech because maybe they just they don't know why they should care do they that's the yeah, point is it maybe yeah but we i don't, don't know why you should care yeah i don't fine. i don't necessarily like i'm not one of these people who just continually i don't blame them some some things yes but i mean look you know you were you remember when you were fucking 17 i was a fucking dickhead when i was 17 or 18 obviously yeah. <laughs> listening to pantera records and like you know thinking that you were the king of the rock club or something is that what we're saying yeah, well, I mean, I was just a little fucking dickhead black metaler, you know. I mean, Primordial I joined when I was 16, and so at 17 or 18, I was just like, yeah, fuck you, I'm going to tell you exactly how the world is. I even did a fanzine, which I'm sure has lots of rather, um, you know, the things that could be dread, dead, you know. I see. <laughs> well, you're a 17-year-old dick. You're a 17-year-old dickhead, you know. I mean, of course you're going to make a spicy meatball. I mean, that's kind of, that's who you are, you know. But now, of course, things are very different when you speak to 17-year-olds, I think, you know? I think so. And I think that, that you know, there's um, there, there's a whole lot that culture has to answer for in education and, you know, all the bias that kind of comes into that as well. But, but you know, if, if I think about, you know, when, when we when we started our band and, and all the kind of flack we got for that, you know, our, our, our view at the time was that people are not taught certain things, they're not taught about history, they're yeah. not learning history in the right way. And... It's that whole kind of paraphrasing, you know, if you if you don't know your own history, you're kind of doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And um, that's always been a huge kind of um, mantra and sort of thread that's run through the stuff that, that we've written and, and some of the kind of lyrical stuff that I've come up with is about this idea of just this, this kind of power structure and this kind of like not learning from, from what's come before you. And, and you know, a, a, there's a new party and there's a new ruler in, there's a new authority in. And, you know, look, I mean, it's like this thing that, that came out a few months ago about, not being able to like legally protest anymore yeah. and, you know even even some of the stuff that people protest about is, is, is crazy sometimes if you're not allowed to do it 
it's that it's that whole like Voltaire thing, isn't it? It's about like you know, you know, you, you wonder who's in control. It's the person that you're not allowed to kind of criticize. Yeah, I and, mean, and, um, but also, you know, if you take that if you take that to its technological um, conclusion, I mean, um, the idea if you move that just say move that that thought along another year protests are banned so therefore what you might end up with is um your biometrics your phone basically um placing you in an illegal protest so therefore if you are on a biometric grid you can have your access to let's say even the pub uh, removed you're it'll just go you are you know transgressed um under the law from social society i mean that's that's the element of Chinese social currency system that, again, you've been, I'm not saying that's what's happening, but you've been banging the drum for it's going like, look, the more you hand over to the state in these terms, on these technocratic um, terms, don't be surprised in a year's time if you go and protest and this, that, the other, that you get a visit from the cops going, your phone has located you at this illegal protest. And so therefore now you're, we're gonna fine you for this, or you're gonna, we're gonna withdraw access you can't leave the country, you can't take a train, you can't... Now, I'm not saying the UK is going to turn into fucking China, of course not. But if you overshoot, if the authorities overshoot for 100% and they get 20%, that's a, that's a win-win for them, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that, that's an absolute dystopian fucking nightmare. But, no, I, I, but, but why would you ban protests unless you expect them? But if you well, if you if you faction people into a million different subsets of people based on all the different kind of stuff that make people up their, you know, their their sex, their their race, their their interests, their social stuff, yeah. how 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 are you ever going to galvanize people against a power structure? You know, if you think about like most of most of the corruption, most of the kind of the horrible kind of dictators and things that have kind of come through the world over the last you know well thousands of years but you know in, in recent history yeah obviously everyone's kind of big boogeyman would be the kind of the whole kind of like germany nazi regime and all that sort of stuff that wasn't that wasn't taken back by posting on twitter was it that was taken back by absolute force and, and, our, and our grandparents kind of sacrificing their lives and stuff and mm -hmm. going after that and um how you know you just think about that in the modern age like how how would you galvanize the 700 different subsections of people together against that when they're too busy kind of fighting against themselves and so that's how it kind of occurs isn't it, it just i think you're right away slowly and often and you know no one feels social cohesion like i grew up a long time being and i guess i still am you know an atheist in, in the sense that you know i've never really kind of seen a place for god and, and, all, and all those kind of things I've never believed in religion and always kind of questioned it but then i had a conversation with a friend about that and it was sort of saying that even though that maybe that side of it isn't great the kind of the control that perhaps the, the catholic church or, the, or, or just religion kind of puts upon you actually there is a there is a really galvanizing community-based factor about being part of that being yeah. a community and yeah. and and because we've broken that down and because we've broken down people by class and by you know earnings and interests yeah. and expression and identity and all those kind of things there's a there's, there's a long road back from there to try and get to toppling a you know uh a yeah. regime that is that is imposing all these things well, I, mean, I, I just think I, it's, uh, it's it's beyond our control it's i think you're I, I think you're exactly right i think the atomization of society is perfect divide and conquer and if and as, as you say i mean if you look at i think a good example is the occupy movement in 2008 after the financial crash you look at what the occupy movement the people that it um uh, had in its sites that one percent 
-hmm. And then look now at the same movements or forms of social movements 12 years later, they're funded by the exact same companies that um, people recognize as the enemy 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I, and they very cleverly over the last 10 years reposition themselves to fund all those things, to go, we'll allow you your protests, we'll bring out the left on the street, we'll bring out the right, will this sense of hyper-normalization that we own both sets of protesters now, thank you very much. And as you say, while everybody's tearing strips off each other, they can continue doing what they're doing. <laughs> I think that's what it boils down to. This whole like, I mean, it's too much to unpack in an hour conversation, <laughs> but like yeah, this yeah. whole like post-truth reality that we sort of seem to be living in, this kind yeah. of whole like targeted, you know, targeted advertising niche, yeah, yeah. speaking to different groups and, you know, paying both sides of the argument. You know, I, I don't know whether it's true or not. I, again, you know, it'd be trusting in something else in the internet, but you see that seven out of the top 10 funders of both of the, of the presidential candidates in previous elections were the same companies. Yeah, and, well, and, and you can see if you watch Adam Curtis um, documentaries, I think it's Bitter Lake, or but one of the other ones, and one of them I think has some stuff about one of Putin's advisors. Um, and then you followed the, some other interviews with him and he was very open and he was just like, look, I own, I own uh, both sides of the political divide. If I want to bring them out in the street and fight each other, I fund them. He's just very open about it. That's what mm -hmm. hyper normalization is. That's whatever this is. That's mm -hmm. that, that's the name that is given to it, I suppose, whatever. It's just like, we own everything. And so therefore, yeah, like where, I mean, and it's very telling that people will contact me immediately with the things they think we divided on rather than seeing any common humanity with like trying to even understand that um, your position might be different or trying to find common ground with you. That's like that, that, the idea that the common ground in the middle of the debate um, is not something anybody wants to stand on anymore. Like they don't go, well, they just want to actually find, well, here's the things I assume about you that I think I'm gonna hate because of the hearsay that I've taken in that has never been um, examined by due process or even asking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's more over, isn't it? Just asking. Yeah, exactly. And so everyone comes at it like that. And so therefore, you're, I think you're entirely right. That sense of divide and conquer makes it almost impossible to have um, a sort of uh, one cohesive, opposition i see that in irish politics at the moment you know it's just i'm uh, gonna get it and, and 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 all the all the extremity at either ends of it like you know I've, I've seen people like try to liken you or i to like extremity at some ends of the political spectrum i just think like we've never really heard what we've got to say about this thing i, I would like to think that i'd like you know, not some deity or something i like to sit above it and like sort of see i agree with that bit i agree with this but you know i'm quite libertarian i think that yeah. people should be allowed to live and express themselves however they want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's just, uh, you know, but then people assume completely differently. So, uh, you know, uh, how are you ever going to get there if, if the, the conversation doesn't happen, the discourse doesn't happen, it's shut down or it's just not undertaken. It's, you know, it's based on assumptions and it's based on hearsay and it's based on bias, I guess. So that, that, but, that's, that's, the, that's the worst. But that's the one of the things that I think that people, um, let's call them, it's one of the things that people in the centre and maybe on the libertarian side don't really understand when I've talked to my friends and they don't really understand what's happening. And you have to say to them, well, the reason why there is no debate is because it's a war. Mm. And in war, all bets are off. I.e., we're in if you're in a culture war, nobody wants to listen to your nuanced middle ground debate. They want to win. And so the winning is the shutting down. There is no 
And then once you realize, like, you know, I, I see this in all, a lot of the podcasts, we, we probably listen to the same ones, whether it's that intellectual dark web or all those kind of people, the, the influential people, the Sam Harris's, the Brett Weinstein's, the whatever, they, and they're, they're, even the Jordan Peterson's and all these people, they try and rationalize the opposition. And it's very much, sometimes to me, it's like um, when you speak to somebody who is atheistic and you go, well, this guy believes that he's going to heaven with 72 vessel virgins. And they go, ah, come on, surely he doesn't really believe that. And you go, I think he does. It's like no one takes people at their word when they think they're in some form of um, fight, so to speak. Look at the Taliban. So I'm reaching for comparison. <laughs> but like people, it's people in the West very often... Um, because they're so atheistic and they're so lacking in all of those kind of things. When somebody comes along and goes, yeah, this is jihad. They go, ah, come on, really? And so now dial that down to sort of a microcosm. So when somebody goes like, well, we don't care what about debating you. It's just about winning. Everybody goes, yeah. but this is the cornerstone of Western civilization, blah, blah, blah. And they go, well, that's what they're trying to destroy. So therefore it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry, that was a rather... No, you, you, you can't hold, you can't be right about everything though, as, as, as I think we've discussed, can you? You know, you can't well you can't hold moral, like you can't hold the moral ground on everything. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe maybe you think you can, but like, yeah, it's, it's never going to work out, is it? You know, it's going to cause fractures. It's going to cause unrest because people don't like to be told how they think or how they should think, and, and which is why you need a society that 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 at least allows you to be free to kind of try and express yourself. Yeah, or the illusion that as educated or uneducated as, as maybe you, you might be in some instances. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, what, it's, it's, a, it's a worry. What's your favorite Bathory album? Oh, God. Probably the best of Bathory, I think. It's probably the best <laughs> one. <isn't it? laughs> I was hoping that would be the answer. <laughs> I don't know actually. I think um, I've got a few there. Yeah, I've got a real soft spot for uh, for Hammerheart, but I've also got a real soft spot for the Return actually as well. Yeah, it's an even though it's like it's an evil the most record. impenetrable one. Yeah, we did it. We I played another band um, with um, well sporadically with a, a mutual friend of ours. I think Paul Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that's called Nine Covens and. And a few years ago and um it was you know it, that really kind of sort of solidified why i love that just that kind of noisy sort of chaotic mm. early stuff almost yeah. a bit kind of like why i like stuff like early sodom and like asian orange and kind of yeah. like you know and all the kind of obsessive cruelty and stuff yeah and in the sign of you know evil and all that sort of stuff it's just bonkers and i don't know then it, then it kind of gets better, doesn't it? Just happens to be sitting here looking at me. Oh, there we go, yeah. And then, and then you end up at Macabre Omen and, and it all peaks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, The Return is a fucking nasty, nasty, evil record. I mean, Another Sign of Black Mark, again, is more, I suppose, could be argued as the greatest black metal album of all time, maybe. But I, I got to pick Blood for Death. It's probably my favourite one. All great. Yeah, it sort of mixes in the, the, the elements of both. But I, I was... Did, when I did my Bathory thing on just randomly going through the records, it reminded me when I was doing that Twilight of the Gods thing, you know, with Barker and Runa, uh, you know, Ex Mayhem and all that kind of stuff. And we did uh, two songs from Twilight of the Gods. We did Under the Runes and we did To Enter Your Mountain, I think. And To Enter Your Mountain, Runa's looks like, like it's some sort of like tapping hammer on thing. 
And then later on, I was playing just like listening to Octagon and Requiem, and he just goes, "That's." He says to me, "Said to me, is that really Corton on Twilight of Gods? Is it really? <laughs> or is it his guitar? Is, is it his guitar teacher?" Mm. <laughs> maybe i don't know what as in like the the, the production and the profound performances are i don't know nice. it's like it's like he reached a, a kind of complete apex of his playing and then completely was burnt out and then just went no, 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 and then just not bother i mean some of the int- like you listen to nordland the intonation sounds like it's out on the guitar like how the <laughs> do you know what i mean like maybe, yeah maybe maybe he'd reached peak battery and just decided that it was just time to make a punk record again or something and that, and that was that you know I, I do. I do wonder about it though. You know, from from your own, from my own playing perspective, like I, I don't think I've ever gotten any better. Really, I've just kind of like, you know, <laughs> come on, had longer, had longer in the studio. <laughs> I, I, I've gone from a, 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 you know, an awful two out of ten as a bass player to a solid four, rising That's to a good. four and a half. That's about it. That's it. <laughs> but no, the the, but the, the weird thing about the, sometimes when you listen to Blood Fire Death, though, like the the bass and snare sound like a drum machine sometimes there's like live symbols but if you zone in on twilight gods or Amart, there's one which will ruin the record for you because it's a crash that's obviously a drum machine and it has the same decay yeah, every time yeah, yeah yeah same decay every time and you go that's not fucking real <laughs> what you're gonna do is making records on its own wasn't it you know yeah well i mean but the return is the drums you know i mean to understand black mark i mean you can't make a drum machine out of time you know, listen to the start of Woman of Dark Desires, it's out of time. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, some of those, yeah, some of those are very spuriously timed, but that's why I love it, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like those Sodom drum rolls in, uh, in, yeah. in those early albums, you yeah, know, yeah. that they're finishing, like, a line into the next kind of verse and stuff yeah, like they're, that. It's, it's... They're the best, yeah. But did you read, did you ever hear the story about the first Bathory album where apparently the drummer forgot the tom arm, the tom arms when they went to record it? And right. so he had, and they were out. They drove out to the studio. They made it in sixteen hours, uh, and he just forgot the tom arm. So that's why there's no toms on that record. There's only floor tom, snare, roll. <laughs> you don't know where to put the one in the middle. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So because he just like he he's just like I forgot them. They were like, well, just play without them. <laughs> Makes you improvise at least, isn't it? Yeah. Well, anyway, sir. Um, on the end, on the the lack of tom arms is where we shall end this i think um and you know we'll gingerly try and jump out of the hot water we've jumped back into you know (laughs) i I feel like i've been dragged into it unwillingly (laughs) (laughs) it was a gotcha really the whole time (laughs) ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 